Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Marion Nulevant back in Portland, Oregon. I'm Matt Stein of Working Concept in Seattle. I'm Patrick Harrington of Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. And Jonathan is known as Old Johnny for the new year. Is that correct? That's <laughs> correct. It's the year of Old Johnny, 2019. <laughs> so it's 2019. So I figured it would be fun to do an episode on web development in, in 2019 and, and kind of what that looks like. And I want to start off with um, a story that Jonathan and I, we, we work together on projects pretty often. And one of the things that we have going on back and forth between us is that we'll be working on something and we'll be like, oh, this is awesome. We've got Webpack going. We've got hot module reloading. This looks super professional. We're geniuses, right? And, and then, you know. And then we're the dumbest people in the world two seconds later. Yeah. And then in, in an hour, like something will come up and I'll just, I'll say in chat to them, like, oh, we're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that is kind of, it's kind of like, I mean, front-end development or maybe development in general, it, it's kind of like having a bipolar girlfriend. Like you're on this crazy ride, right? You either feel like you just figured something out, you feel like a genius, you're on top of the world, and then nothing is working. Your head is in your, you're doing a massive two-handed face palm and just nothing works, right? Does anyone, anyone else experience that kind of ride? It's like an astronaut bipolar girlfriend though, because the, the, like the things do so much now. It used to just right. be that you yeah. could open a text editor or your word and, uh, you know, just edit two files and you're done. And now it's, it's, we're built on top of so many things. Yeah. And where this came up most recently is that, so the, the big webpack config thing that I did sprung out of a project that Jonathan and I are doing together. I mean, Jonathan basically said, look, you know, this is kind of silly the way we're doing stuff. I want the hot module re reloading. You know, I want the works, right? So I said, all right, you know, I won't sleep or bathe for the next month and I'll, I'll figure all this stuff out. And we got everything working and it was building. And then Jonathan messaged me uh, the other day and it was the same, you know, genius idiot thing where he's like, oh, this is great. Everything looks professional. And then an hour later, he's like, um, it's not auto prefixing anything. Right, Jonathan? <laughs> well, so this came out because I was working on a component, a view component. And so we're big fans of Tailwind, which is a utility CSS. So I was applying one of Tailwind's utility CSS classes to a select element in a form. And its job was to uh, apply the style appearance none to that select so that I could style it. So I noticed it wasn't working and I was just pulling my hair out about it. And finally, I dove into my inspector and noticed that the style that was being output was not vendor prefixed. So appearance none is not going to work without WebKit or whatever uh, appended to it. And so this would be the job of post CSS to do this. And it just wasn't doing its job. So that was our rabbit hole yesterday. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, well... Is it passing down the right browser list to this thing? You know, does it know the right browsers to auto prefix for? Is it you know, someone did a pull request on my Webpack config, and one of the things he noted was that we could just use um, post CSS preset env. Like we didn't need auto prefixer, and we didn't need a lot of these other things. And I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe there's some unintended consequence of that. And, you know, we're going off in all directions and we're feeling like complete idiots. And it was even a, you know, 
it was even difficult to figure out what was actually happening. So I had a mistaken assumption at the beginning. My assumption was that it was being added correctly, at least initially, and then another process down the chain was stripping it out. Right. So um, what we did was we just put, we made a fake style or a, a test style on our style sheet and used appearance none. And sure enough, it was prefixed properly. Dun, dun, um, dun. So all of our CSS was prefixed properly, but nothing from Tailwind was. Right. So both of us, you know, kind of went, went down the rabbit hole. We're looking all over the place to figure out what it was. And I ended up looking up some things in the, the Tailwind docs because I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like it's working for our CSS, but it's not working for Tailwind. That makes me think it's something related to that. It ends up being really simple. Can Well, <laughs> simple once you get there, right? All the problems are simple once you end up figuring it out. Can anyone guess what it could possibly have been? Matt, Patrick, mm. Marion, no? I don't know. No. Misconfigured post CSS config file. Mm, <sighs> not exactly. So it's, well, configured, it's configured fine, but the post CSS pre, preset env, which handles the auto prefixing and a bunch of other stuff, was required before the Tailwind CSS, right? So that means that anything that that plugin would do, it would only do to stuff that comes before it. So because Tailwind comes after it, it doesn't auto-prefix it or do anything else to uh, it, yeah. right? So and we switched the order. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say, this is a perfect example of my love-hate relationship with modern front-end <laughs> development. I mean, because, you know... If you think about what we just did here, we spent hours and hours trying to fix something that we've been doing for years with Gulp, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. And it used to be so easy. And now the, the simplest little thing can trip you up. The same thing happened when we were trying to figure out why. So we have a view component that's supposed to go out and get the user's cart mm -hmm. uh, from Craft Commerce. And the the request just kept failing and failing and failing. It was because I left off some I left off a parameter for Axios, which is like a library you can use to make AJAX requests. I mean, back in the day, jQuery.get, I would have been done, you know, in five well, minutes. Not exactly right because you also needed to prefix it with the act <laughs> the action trigger. Right? Well, that was the other thing. Yeah, that was the other that, thing. That but, one was another one. Um, but and but that was that was just me being super, super dumb. This one was kind of a little <laughs> bit more of a weird, <laughs> a weird issue. Well, and then the funny thing is or that, you know, I'm looking at this and I feel kind of guilty. And I'm just like, oh, well, that sucks. Like my, the, the config had it in the wrong order, you know? And then I, I looked back at this previous project that we did. And I was like, um, Jonathan, <laughs> you've got the config in the wrong order there, too. Right. So that meant that this project that's been live for about a year hasn't been auto prefixed the way that we intended. Right. That is correct. Which is this like, you know, this is a perfect summary of the whole genius idiot thing. Right? I'm always worried appearing on this podcast that like if potential clients ever listen, they're never going to hire me for anything. Like this guy's an idiot. <laughs> but wait, so no one had noticed or no, I mean, no, no, yeah. I, there doesn't appear to be any consequences. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere that has like <laughs> their strange well, version of Firefox that something's not not right. But it it makes sense that it's not really that noticeable because it only applied to Tailwind classes, 
right? Yeah. And there, there are only a very few selectors that really need the vendor prefixes to work. Yeah. You know? I think uh, appearance is kind of a weird one uh, where it, well, it was non-standard and then it kind of became standard, I think. And so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's not too many these days that require it. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, that, that, that sums it up, right? I mean, that, that little down the rabbit hole kind of thing just kind of sums up the crazy stuff that we're doing these days, right? Does indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, the other thing that I want to talk about here is just in general, you know, what we think about the various technologies that we're using and and working with these days. And I I want to see if anyone has um, stuff that they might want to add about it. Like Matt, I know that you have started going down the uh, the Docker rabbit hole? Yeah, a podcast host actually pointed me to a, a Udemy course, and then I took it with great enthusiasm. And I've always wanted to work more with Docker because I feel no, like... Don't listen it, to podcast hosts, first I, of all. Well, I, I generally don't, but every now and then something sticks. Um, okay. <clears throat> but I've, I I don't know. I mean, I've always wanted to... I've been using MAMP for a long time, and I know that there, there are better ways to do things, mostly mm-hmm. just even working between machines. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm using or mastering Docker in any way, but I've seen what it can do. And I'm using something called DDEV now, which is like a baby step toward working with Docker locally. Um, replaced MAMP with it, loving it. And I played with deploying stuff on Swarm, but I can't say I, I know what I'm doing yet. I just kind of <laughs> finished the course. and uh, But someday I'd like to just work on a container locally and then push it up you know, to the cloud. And then if it needs to be bigger or there need to be more of them, just kind of like drag a slider or, or, you know, release a few more widgets and have them scale to meet the needs of a site. I think that's pretty cool. And it's possible to do. It's just like all this stuff, like, like you're talking about with front end technologies, there's so many layers of things that Mm -hmm. if you don't understand them, you will just break them and then wonder why they're broken. And then seemingly simple things will take a long time to figure out. And then you have, the personality trait, I don't even know if I'd call it a flaw, where you want to understand all this stuff that you're doing, right? Like you you want to kind of like handcraft these things and kind of have a distrust of stuff that you don't understand. So when you That's right. adopt something new, like it's it's a it's a massive commitment, right? Like it's a massive you know. commitment because of how I achieve that understanding. Exactly. It is a flaw. And my business is just mastering flaws in a, in a packageable form uh, and <laughs> learning for me is I, I've, I've encountered a lot of people that can read documentation, scratch their chin a little bit and then start using a thing. And I'm not that I have to break it in every conceivable way that I can and try to hack it together and make just a, a dumpster fire before I can start figuring out where I went wrong and then kind of like reaching an understanding, having broken it and doing it the wrong way a thousand times. So I feel like once I learned something, I've learned it pretty well, but it takes a long time because I, I never hit genius mode. It's just a very forceful idiot mode that uh, is applied to figuring something out. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like you must approach, you know, people are talking about new technologies and you must be like, I, I can't even, I don't even want to hear this because if I start looking into it, no one's going to see me for the next month, right? That's basically <laughs> the feeling, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I mean, and, and you make your own clothing, you make your own soap, you make you roast your own coffee, you, you make your I don't own roast clothes, my own right? I don't roast my own coffee yet. But everything but else was true. Yet. Uh, just about. Yeah, yet, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, I, I've had this problem since I was a kid, like I, my parents would not get me certain toys because I would take them apart and then I 
figure out how to get them back together. Like, I just, I just like understanding how things work. And if I like a thing, I want to play with it more and, and break it in an interesting way until I can. Well, I hope they never got you a pet. <laughs> no, they didn't. They if didn't. you get new one. toys and you take them apart, God knows what you're going to do to a cat. No, we, we just got our first dog, but my, my wife is now training two animals. So um, she's training me to have a dog, and then we're training the dog to do dog things. Right. Um, so there's a layer of safety there. But no, the, the best example of that was a, my, my grandma, my parents rolled their eyes when I got the Ninja Turtles Technodrome. I forget what age I was, but very young. And my mom didn't want me to get it because she knew what would happen. And she was right. The day after Christmas, it was in various pieces. Uh, well, that was a harbinger, right? Of what you were going to be like when you got older. Yeah, nothing I mean, has, I was warning everybody. They just didn't pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> Nothing has changed. A, a new piece That's of right. technology comes out and you're, you've got all the pieces laid out on the carpet and you're just sitting there looking at them, right? That's right. That's funny. Patrick, how, how about you? Like, what, what kind of technology stuff are you looking at that you think is going to be applicable to you and your business in, in 2019? Yeah, our big thing is Gatsby right now, just trying to get good at it we yeah we had the the episode i don't know maybe a month and a half two and a half months ago at this point and kind of did a pilot project on it and i actually was just literally in the last 20 minutes debugging like why is this not building why is it blowing up i'm still not exactly sure why it's not why it's blowing up which is always frustrating but yeah i've you know i i really just felt like that's the way that things are starting to go that you know, separating the front end from the back end is just going to happen more and more. Um, yeah. Well, tell people what Gatsby is and what you think it will do for you. Sure. So Gatsby is a, you know, they call it a static site generator. Uh, it uses React. Uh, essentially, it's a framework that puts together a whole lot of best practices in front end when it comes to doing service workers, you know, critical CSS, just about everything you could want to be doing. It, it just does out of the box. And it lets you connect up to any data source that they have a plugin for. You could build your own. Um, that could be GraphQL. It could be Markdown documents. You know, there are all these different data sources you can use in the back end to, to pull it in and, and create a, a fully built out static website uh, that does all that server rendering and pre-rendering and all that stuff for you. Um, so all the things that I've been trying to do over the last couple, maybe not a couple of years, but you know, trying to do, and it seems that things keep on changing with Gulp and Webpack and what's the new technology. Gatsby just kind of abstracts a lot of that away for you and lets you say, okay, hook up your data source, write your React components, and you've got a website. And that's just really refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting, but I, I think this might be, you might be doing this out of spite, Patrick. Right. I mean, you, you looked at my my big <laughs> webpack article and you said, screw this. I like I don't... a five minute read. I then yeah. sat and <laughs> my children didn't eat that night. And no, it, like, yeah, just I, I, that's not something I, I don't see the benefit in getting really, really good at webpack configs. Right. I just I don't want to have to spend my time doing that. Like there's it seems like there's uh, I don't know, there's a right way to do things. And I'd rather someone who knows how to do it the right way just do that for me. Right. And so this is an interesting contrast to the way Matt approaches stuff, right? (laughs) Where he wants to get in there and understand everything. And you're looking at it more from a pragmatic point of view where I want this end result. I don't care how it happens. Just make it easy for me. And so you're looking at this interim build tool that is going to then do that for you, right? Yeah. I mean, I I love learning how things work and tinkering in my spare time and for leisure. But when it comes to getting things done and being able to, 
decide how I can bring on other developers and get them up. You know, it's a whole lot easier to say if you're a React developer, you're going to be able to work with this. If you know React and GraphQL, you're going to be able to jump into this toolkit really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost doesn't matter as much if someone knows Craft. I haven't done Contentful or Sanity, but you know that those all those are abstracted away, and you get to just stay in the front end. Um, so yeah, it's been really nice. We have one site that is right now built. Luckily, the the little uh, buddy pipeline just gave me the green light, so it actually built. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somehow I blew away the dot environment file. I don't know how I did that, but okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it's fun, and yeah, I mean, I think we've talked in the past about how a lot of things are moving away from the one monolithic application and. Um, going towards things that are either headless or, you know, you have different parts that are each doing their own thing. Um, and I think this is just one really good step towards that. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Gatsby is it's it's kind of a, it's an interesting tool because it's not just a static site generator. It actually is kind of like a, a best practices website builder in some Absolutely. sense, yeah. right? Yep. And the idea is that, okay, well, you know, the best practices for doing X, Y, or Z is is a moving target. Here's this kind of neutral part of your pipeline that you focus on the the inputs. Don't worry about the how the sausage is made under the hood. We'll take care of then spitting out the resulting kind of optimized web pages. And and I think it's a really it's a really interesting approach because as things get more and more complex, there has to be a layer of tooling there, right? Yeah. I mean yeah. there has to be. There yeah, I mean, to. I think for a long time you had, going back to, I mean, you go back to like, was it Adam or whatever, and then Grunt and Gulp, and, all, and they've always kind of been side by side, like tangentially close to the back end and the front end, but, you know, they, they could be swapped out, and this just puts everything all in one. The, the place where you're doing your templating is the same in which you're doing your React components and generating your front end out of it is just really nicely done. And yeah, that I think that's a good point you make. It as the best practices of front-end development change, I can kind of just assume and hope, I guess, that Gatsby is going to update and support those and the site will get better as Gatsby gets better rather than there being some new thing and I need to look learn to hook it into Webpack or learn how to work with Webpack 5. And, that, it, you know, I, I don't want to have to do that. I'm just, you know, nothing's for free. You'll, you know, at some point they'll be breaking changes and I'll have to update you know, to Gatsby 3 someday and probably fix some things. But sure. there's just a whole lot of extra stuff that comes free with that that um, I'm pretty excited about. Well, let me let me play the devil's advocate and tell you two things that I worry about. And maybe yeah. maybe for no great reason, right? And then I, we'll get some other people involved here too. So the two things I worry about, one is that whenever you add an abstraction layer that takes care of like complicated stuff for you, it usually is awesome. Until it's not right, and then it's this like opaque box, and you're you're just basically doing what people used to do with TVs when the reception didn't work. You're just walking up to it and smacking it on the side, hoping that that will cause the signal to work. You know what yep, I mean? Yep. Like it's very uh, you just don't know necessarily what's going wrong or why, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm interested to see where you are with uh, this after you've gone through the whole process of building it and deploying it and maintaining it for, you know, six months or more yep. just to kind of see where you're at. But I, I too am very interested in in Gatsby and I have been for a long time because it's paying attention to the things that are important to me in terms of web performance. Like that's always been a, a, a big thing in my book. But then the other thing that I'm just kind of in the back of my mind concerns me is 
if I invest all my time in getting everything converted over to Gatsby and using Gatsby to do this, set and the other thing, and then Kyle Matthews decides that, you know, he wants to herd sheep somewhere in South America and Gatsby goes away, there's a lot of the standards that I haven't learned along that way. You know what I mean? Like I, I haven't learned how Webpack works. I haven't wor- learned how to build a performance site because I've just let something else do it for me. You know? So what do you think a, about that? Sort of the dream weaver of the decade. <laughs> yeah. I, I think to your last point, um, I mean, you could say the same thing for using a, you know, using a off the shelf content management system and, Oh, because we're using craft then we're not learning the ins and outs of <clears throat> managing content and how to, properly talk to SQL databases and, right. and do all that. But sure. you know, the, the benefit is so great. Um, and there's a good team behind it um, that we feel pretty secure. And they're also, they're building on really battle-tested technologies like Yi and like Twig that uh, some of the skills that you're developing as you become a craft developer, if ever, you know, Brandon won, you know, the, the lottery and just decided, okay, he's closing up, then a lot of those skills could transfer over to a symphony platform or to, you know, something else. And I think the same goes for Gatsby that it, you know, it's built with react. It's not like they made their own, you know, their own variation of JSX or whatever they, you know, they're using react, they're using things that transfer over really well. Um, So at the same time that you're in Gatsby, you're becoming a better node developer. You're learning about react uh, you're learning maybe Tailwind if that's what you're doing with our, your styling as we are. So, I mean, it's not like all of your skills are atrophying and you're putting everything into some proprietary bucket. You yeah, know, if think- it went away, there definitely may be some learning curve and some things that you're not as uh, proficient on. But I'm okay with that. Like, I'd rather have a, a really good power drill than be like, oh, but I know the ins and outs of how this old hand drill works and I can fix this hand drill. Like, no, like, I just want to get things done. No, I mean, you're you're totally right to draw that analogy where... There are, at some point, we're picking platforms to build stuff on because there's literally no other way to do it. Yeah, right? I mean, we can't all be Matt Stein just you know, coming up with bespoke <laughs> I, art, artisan, artisanal. I don't think Matt Stein should be Matt Stein because I think <laughs> we're, we're all making faith-based technical decisions. I think that's what we're talking yeah. about. Is yep. We can't yeah. possibly you know, get in and, and write our own version of each of these things and then go, oh, okay, and then that, that's, a, that's why I would use theirs. That's why it's better. Yeah. So I think the trick is to, I think what I appreciate about your approach, Patrick, is that it's not uh, guided by interest, which I'm interested in a shiny thing, and then I start playing with it, and months later I come out and hopefully it was useful. Um, It sounds like you're looking at opportunity. Like, what opportunities does this give me? And hopefully the right faith-based technical decision is going to steer you in useful directions. Whether So you commit to something based on these magical criteria, whether it's the team behind it or the technology it's using or where you think the future is going. And then hopefully it encourages you to get more comfortable with things that you didn't know. That's, I think my better decisions usually fall into that category. That's a question. I have a question for Patrick. So Patrick, I mean, have you come up against anything with Gatsby that you felt like it was too great of a, of a hurdle to tackle, um, uh, doing it the Gatsby way. So like, for example, I would imagine if you were building like an e-commerce site, it would be probably more difficult to do that with Gatsby than just a traditional twig or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Twig and going kind of the monolithic way is definitely more straightforward. You get to just use some twig templating that talks right to the back end. It does everything for you. 
Um, I've been considering using it for an e-commerce site, but yeah, it's basically instead of twig tags that are pulling you know, the CSRF, we need to grab it manually. Instead of getting the car just through a, a craft variable, we need to get that manually through you know, basically hooking up to you know, app.site where we're editing the content uh, rather than just getting it right in our templates. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, those are all controllers. They're all talking to controllers. We should be able to do everything that we could do in Twig right through it, just through you know through front end controllers rather than back end controllers. Yeah, I mean, it's something where we're still trying to decide if it's right to go that way. But people are doing it now with Shopify using its JSON API to put e-commerce into outside sites. Um, you know, without going all in on Shopify's templating, which you, know, you hit the limits of that pretty quickly. Here's um, here's what I think is crazy, though, to some extent. So static site generators have been around for forever, right? I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's Jekyll, there's any number of these things that have been around for forever in one form or another. And we also can do static caching with fast CGI cache or with varnish. So the idea of a, a static site is not new. Right, that's been around for forever. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, technologies like Gatsby and Gridsum, they exist primarily because we've decided we want to use JavaScript. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what they exist for is to make it easier to do the server-side pre-rendering and server-side rendering. Same thing with Next.js, Nux.js, mm-hmm. you know, all this kind of stuff. This whole layer of technologies only exist because we've decided we're using JavaScript. You know, like, I mean, I don't know. To some extent, it seems a little bit crazy to me. You know, <laughs> decided that, but also partly because JavaScript engines have become so much faster too. I mean, right. com- companies put a lot of effort into, you know, making JavaScript the powerful thing that it is, right? No, a- absolutely. And I think JavaScript is amazing and awesome and has come, you know, leaps and bounds. But all I'm saying is that this whole layer of tooling exists because we decided to use this particular language to do this thing. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. I I just think that's kind of strange. Like I'm thinking about it from Earl's perspective. I'm summoning the spirit of Earl who is not here. (laughs) And, you know, he would say, okay, you know, great developer. I'm glad you like JavaScript, but why are we adding all of this crap just to use the language that we happen to like? Yeah. And I mean, I think you could, there are uh, stack site generators out there that, the output isn't a, a JS framework built app right. um, that it does output just flat HTML, flat CSS, mm-hmm. which Earl says, you know, the web is supposed to be for documents. It's supposed to be for, you know, just for delivering content and, and markup, you know, markup that's styled. And even then it should probably work without styling, which is a good thing. But I don't know, people are expecting a whole lot more out of websites. And if you want page transitions or you want service workers and quick loading and, you know, all the stuff that comes with it, you know, you really need code to do that. And that code is going to run on the front end. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a big shift and it, it makes your site completely JavaScript dependent. You know, if I load this, this, uh, Gatsby site with JavaScript disabled, I just get a white screen. It, it's kind of, <laughs> I feel horrible about it, but it is. Um, now that being said, it doesn't have to do XHR pulls right. to, to pull down content. So it's SEO friendly, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit problematic. Well, in fact, it shouldn't be doing XHRs, right? I mean, you really want it to be static so that... Because I know you can make a site with Gatsby that works without JavaScript enabled. Yeah, I haven't 
found that option. If I, I think I know what you mean. I think it's somewhere there. Um, right now, I'm just going with the one that gives me all of the bells and whistles. But yeah, I think you're right that it can go flat HTML, CSS, Java, and you know, minimal JavaScript where you need it. But yeah, well, it, yeah. And I think you you nailed exactly where we're going with this. Is that the web is no longer for documents. The web is becoming an app delivery platform. Yep. And if if it's becoming an app delivery platform, we're going to have more and more app-ish features. And to do that, we need these frameworks, right? So, that, I mean, that's why we're here. But I, I just think it's interesting to look at it from a big picture point of view that this extra layer of tooling is because we are trying to transform the web into an app delivery platform. I mean, that's what's, that's what's going on, right? So, uh, Jonathan, how about you in terms of 2019 and, and stuff that you're interested in working on? I mean, I know that uh, we are embracing Webpack. Is that something that uh, you found has been working out all right? Yeah, I guess it's not so much the tool is what the tool is as it is what the tool allows us to do, I would say. Yeah, so, I Webpack, I mean, you know, I kind of, I'm not, I don't love Webpack, but I love what it allows me to do. So, you know, I love Vue. I love being able to use single fall components. Um, I love how Webpack allows me to to package everything up nice and tidy and little bundles and delivers those to the front end in the most efficient way possible. And it allows me to work the way that I like to work. So from that standpoint, I guess, you know, Webpack seems to be kind of the only game in town right now. Um, if you want to be able to do that, whether you, whether you use it directly, like if you're mm. configuring it or you're using a tool like Gatsby, where it's kind of abstracted away for you, you're still kind of using it to, to, to achieve, uh, achieve those things that you need to do on the front end. So Webpack. Yeah. I love, uh, I think we've already talked about Tailwind. I'm a huge fan of Tailwind on the front end and I'm a big fan of Vue. So I think that this is why I've, I can't make myself get into Gatsby yet, even though I'm so curious about it. Because whenever I hear Patrick talk about it, he makes it sound wonderful. So I always, in the back of my mind, think that I would love to play around with Gatsby. But of course, Gatsby's React. And I'm just in love with Vue.js right now. So that's kind of a, a sticking point for me. And I'm sure that I think there's no plans, of course, to have a Vue.js version of Gatsby. So anyway. However, such a project however, exists. I know the project exists. I've heard that. Yeah. No, no. However, there is a project called Gridsome. I've heard of that. Yeah. Which is view based. And I've been in their Discord channel since they started it up. And it's essentially trying to be Gatsby for View, right? It's going to do the same similar things and solve similar problems in terms of multiple data sources, but it's using Vue as the engine for all of this stuff. Right. Well, that would be something interesting to play with in 2019, see where it yeah, goes. Yeah, sure. But you made a really good point about Webpack is that when we were initially sitting down and talking about this, we were not saying, hey, we need to use Webpack. We were saying, I want hot module reloading. I want single file view components. Like I want, these are the things that we want. And then we kind of looked around and said, all right, we can do all this stuff via Webpack. So we kind of did it. It's kind of like in between what uh, Patrick and, and uh, Matt are doing in that we were pragmatic about the things that we wanted to make our development experience better and the sites we produce better. But then we were also willing to invest the time into um, getting this kind of lower level tool up and running to do that stuff. You know, but uh, Marion, how about yourself? Have you uh, got any things in in 2019? Any technologies or 
platforms or, or that type of thing that are, are of interest to you? I'm curious about Matt's uh, Docker course. Matt, you're doing a Docker course? No, no. Oh my, no. Just taking. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, the, the most disappointed students. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's Docker course is, let me recommend this other... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I want to. I want to finally. Well, that would that would teach some. Uh, sorry, Marion. That would teach some uh, a life lesson in learning to deal with disappointment, right, Matt? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> which which I don't so, really. Sorry, Marion. Right go ahead. Now. I, I I think I'm I'm set with disappointment. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I want. But if you put it on Udemy, you can make it ninety five percent off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this guy's courses just point to other courses. <laughs> Matt Stein, I can see it now. It'll be Matt Stein's dealing with disappointment in development. <laughs> Sorry, Marion, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go no, ahead. No, what, right. what else you got um, there? Time to learn PHP Storm. Um, mm. Like to learn Vue. I, I think I'm like Matt, you know, another person who makes their own clothing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So about PHP Storm, like, I use it all the time and I live and breathe by it. And I remember years ago, Patrick looking at me like, I can't believe you're not using this thing. Like you're an idiot, like get on board, start using this thing. And he ended up being completely right. But still after using it for all these years, like I still think I, I use like 10% of it, you know, like literally. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm down there in the 1% range. So I have, <laughs> I have a waste. I fire it up from time to time and manage to set some local breakpoints. Usually, uh, right. But you know, if I want to navigate around in code, I'm still over there in Sublime using using search in this file, search in this directory. It's a- so, I mean, a, a general trend that I have been talking about for a while that I think is probably true is that I think a lot of the lower end websites that maybe you would do in WordPress or you would do in uh, one of these other small platforms are just going to be eaten up by uh, things like Squarespace and Wix and Webflow. And in fact, Webflow, I think, is actually pretty damn nice. Um, So if you were more of a designer than a developer, I I do think that Webflow is something that you might be really interested in checking out. Um, And as Patrick has always said, like, use whatever br- allows you to bring the most value to the table. Well, I'm definitely in terms not of what you're good at more than a developer. Oh no, me, me. Either. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's interesting that a lot of the traditional web development work that is being done. I think a lot of that is going to be eroded away and is going to be uh, handled by platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're even seeing, you know, some of the, like some of the uh, some of the work that I'm doing in the uh, the Webpack config that I've got is being handled by a service in Gridsome or Gatsby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's kind of interesting. I think that web developers, if we are if we only know like a little bit of HTML, a little bit of CSS, and we occasionally use JavaScript, like you're not going to be building websites in a CMS. You're going to be building them in uh, in one of these tools, and the tools are going to get really good that you're going to be able to do all this stuff. And then conversely, I think that people who are working on the more web app-ish stuff, they're going to need to get much better at being more like traditional developers in terms of the the tooling and the hard problems that they they need to solve, you know? What do you what do you folks think about that? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm seeing that quite a bit that 
the basic stuff is either yeah going and I it's funny I've not heard of Webflow anywhere outside of you. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know who's building on Webflow, but I, I'm convinced you have stock in Webflow. I don't. You should. No, Webflow is really well done. It's I, shockingly yeah. well done. I'm just on Google Trends right now, and there's just this little line at the bottom for Webflow compared to like Wix and Squarespace and Weebly. Weebly's still well, around. Not a, and by that measure, WordPress is the best platform on the planet. Oh no, right? I'm not. So. It's the best. I'm not saying it's the best. <laughs> just that. Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, the the amount of mentions versus, uh, yeah. Okay, um, but, but in general, like, forget about which one I I think happens <laughs> to be good. Just that there is a there are platforms that will be used. Yeah, you know I think I, mean? I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot will go to WordPress.com or Squarespace or Wix or these site builders for simple content sites. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's still going to be a, a market for a long time for custom development when you just get outside of the bounds of what can be done with a site builder. But but they're constantly moving that bar. That's what I'm trying to say, right? These site builders are getting better and better. Yeah, so the yeah. work, the custom work, like you constantly need to be upping your game, right? Yeah. I mean, I think to get, you know, small business, I think is very much going to go there if it hasn't already mostly gone there. Um, midsize, you, you know, there may be some more sensitivity to, having their own data and being able to move from something to another and and have that be an easier process. Um, or if you're talking about any sort of a company in the financial market or health, you know, they may not want to put it on an outside server, so they're still going to want to run their own thing. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you want to stay relevant and have a job in the coming years, and I don't just mean like 10 years away, I mean like two to five years, I think really to be able to do some really interesting things for performance, you know, to be able to build complex functionality and more app-like features that, you know, a HubSpot or a, any of those just can't, you know, do the same for everyone else. You know, you're going to have to differentiate um, both on the front end and then just being able to build more complex backend stuff. And what I would tell people is JavaScript, mm-hmm. right? If you If you want to be gainfully employed in this business, start learning it and get good at it. And, uh, you know, I'm probably, <laughs> you know, people like Wes Boss are just going to be raking in the money from people that are getting on board and trying to learn it. And, th- and it's not to say that there isn't going to be, continue to be tons of uh, application style work that's done in PHP or in Go or in any number of other things. But I think that if you are a more you know, like traditional uh, web developer, JavaScript is the thing to focus on. You know, and getting up to speed with uh, the modern front end frameworks and the the kind of stuff that they can do for you. Because I, I do think, and I've been saying this for a while, but I, I think that the jack of all trades, HTML, CSS, add jQuery developer is they're they're going to have a tough time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's what I think. It's not necessarily just upping your game, but figuring out you're almost forced to identify where you can specialize and be useful and profitable. Yeah. And keep yourself in business because things have changed so much. It used to be one designer could design and build and deploy a site and the Internet thing kind of took off and it all got bigger and it all kind of started expanding. And the, we're to the point now, like to the whole, the theme of this whole conversation is one person can't master all of these things. And so Agreed. Um, that's the area I live in right now is trying to figure out, um, you know, I've been designing and building and deploying sites for a long time. And, and I encounter a lot of clients now that I refer to Squarespace or Wix or whatever that are just fairly simple sites. Um, mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I'm figuring out now where to, you know, where am I useful? What do I actually do well when I'm, when I'm, you know, not just buried in some toy or thing I'm trying to learn um, and, and figure out how to, you know, shift what it is, uh, you know, who I appeal to and and how I do work. Well, let's talk about stuff that's universal then, right? So if you are good at problem solving or you are good at critical thinking or those kind of more abstract skills, you're, you're going to be marketable, you know, no matter what comes along, right? Because you're going to be able to learn it. And this gets back to one of my personal pet peeves, which is the myth of the full stack developer, right? <laughs> like, and I know that there are some very, very smart people that call themselves full stack developers, but I just, I don't believe it exists, right? It's not a thing. It's a marketing term is really what it is because the stack has become so big on every angle of things from DevOps to backend to front end to performance, to SEO, to everything. Like you, you just literally can't be, you can't call yourself a full stack developer because then the question is what stack, right? Yeah. Because it's so vast and so complicated that sure, you can be good at some backend stuff and some DevOps stuff and some front end stuff, but it's a very specific stack of things, right? And what has always confused me is why there's so much angst over this, right? If you look at doctors or lawyers, none of them call themselves like full stack doctors or full stack lawyers or whatever. Well, you, what they have done to handle the complexity is they specialize, right? I'm a I'm a divorce divorce lawyer. I'm a you know I'm a, a heart uh, surgeon well, or whatever, and they just they specialize, right? and then you're kind of right. the gateway yeah. to the specialists. You can be a general practitioner, but they call themselves a general practitioner, right? They don't call, they don't put the kind of full stack misnomer out there that implies that they know all there is front and back to healthcare, right? You know, what I mean? just, just yeah. But I, I mean, out. even then, they're not going to say, "Well, welcome to your checkup, Andrew. They would like to examine your full stack." I mean, that, that's just not the terminology <laughs> they use. <laughs> it's not the terminology, but it's more the mentality. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, even then, you know, a specialist will still know how the body works. They went through, you know, pre-med, med school, you know, had to do just full gross anatomy or whatever it is. But, you know, they're not completely clueless. And I mean, right. no one can know everything. You know, if you try to right. put me in front of Green Sock Animation Library, I'm just going to be like first time I've ever seen it. Terrible. But I know my way around uh, most, you know. Ubuntu backend, you know, Ubuntu servers and front end PHP. There's a whole lot I can do. I mean, do I call myself a full stack developer? I, you know, I know enough about DevOps, enough about front end and back end that I can get a website fully built in all regards in terms of being able to set up the server, or at least, you know, or use tools to set up the server, build the front end, build the back end. And I, I mean, I, I do think there is something to be said for if you specialize so much that, you know, you only you know, do bootstrap front end theming. Like you're just going to find that you're, inc but there are plenty of people out there that say I'm, I'm bootstrap. I do everything in bootstrap. And if you ask me, am I write my own CSS? It's going to be hard. I do think there are some core capabilities that you, if you want to do well and be able to have a lot of job opportunities, it makes sense to at least know enough. Um, yeah. But what does it even yeah. mean, Patrick? If, you know, the way that we've seen things gone is they're moving from you do this by hand yourself to now we're using services more and more. So if I use a provisioning service to set up my server, whether it's Forge or Server Pilot or Heroku, and 
if I'm then using something like Gatsby, the intermediate build stuff to build this thing, like what does it even mean, you know, to be a full stack developer when a lot of these chunks of the stack are just being taken up by automation or provisioners? Yeah, to me, I think I'm more interested, like if I was hiring someone, not that they're full stack, but that they're intellectually curious. And if I throw something at them, they're going to want to learn it. They're going to want to get their hands around it. They're not going to say, no, I only do this sort of thing. I... I know I'm going to fail if I even try to learn something else. You know, I want someone that wants to try to learn and solve problems and think critically. And that goes back to you saying that if you're a critical thinker, if you have a good head on your shoulders, if you can look at problems, it, you know, then you're you're going to go far no matter what. And it, you know, that may mean you go into the full stack or that you're able to move into Heroku one day and into AWS another because you're good at reading documentation and understanding how the web works and how the back end talks to the front end and you can just sort of adapt into different situations. Yeah, I'd rather hire someone that's adaptable than that they say they have a certain full stack that they adhere to. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think that it's fine to specialize and I think that you need to specialize in the in this day and age where the the stack is so deep and so broad and there's so many technologies. Like I think the only way that you're going to get really good is to specialize to one extent or another. However, I think that what you really need is the ability to learn something new and pick something up, right? And this is something that I've used a number of different programming languages over the years. And when I approach a new language, at first, I'm terrible at it, like, of course, but it's not a big deal, right? It's like it's learning another language. It's learning another technology. If you sat me down in front of Greensock, I wouldn't know what the hell I'm doing initially, but I have the skills that I know that I could learn it and, and I could do something with it. You know what I mean? And so I totally agree with you that that is uh, a super, super important skill uh, to have. Is The other part is the attitude. You go, go, go oh, ahead. cool, green sock, and not, I don't know yes. it, I don't want to know it, and keep it far away from me. Yeah. 100%. It's, a, it's an attitude, Marion. 100%. Like you, it's fine to specialize, get good at what you're specializing in, but be open to learning something new. Don't say, I'm not that. Like, I can't do that be willing to to learn it and approach it and and find it interesting to explore and learn. I mean, it's like my wife uh, started a new job and I went in there and was talking to someone there who was a uh, an Android developer. And her attitude was just like, yeah, I don't know about any of this other stuff. Like I'm just an Android developer, you know? And yeah, okay. I mean, you can specialize, but keep your mind open and keep your eyes open and be willing to start and do something new, right? I think that's the only way to adjust to something that changes this fast. I met a bunch of COBOL programmers who worked for the state of Oregon a few years ago, and they were coming up against the fact that being a COBOL programmer was not uh, not the future. <laughs> and they were, they were getting... <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> um, how, how long ago was this? Uh, I know there's there, was, yeah. I don't know, 15 Ugh. years ago or so. Okay. But right. still, okay. I mean, still, yeah. maybe even not quite that long ago. And they were they were being forced into Java, which, oh my God, right. what a change. And they were kind of angry that the, their union hadn't prepared them for this. <laughs> it's interesting how long people can continue to hold on to a legacy technology. They're like, there's still even a community um, around Apple's uh, web objects, which, oh, you know, God. has been deprecated for how long now? 
but they're still like developers for it and they still have active projects. And oh, they still I know use somebody who, who does very well as a small talk programmer. So yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. If you have a, if you specialize in something and you're needed, yeah, I mean, you can yeah, do fine. They probably right. are still COBOL programmers because there probably is still COBOL, but uh, yeah, the, the COBOL programmers who, who are entrenched and, and not willing to think about new things are, are in a hard place, you know, or the, or the Dreamweaver people. It's, it's, being willing to well, it's fine. It really is time to move. Yeah, it's fine to specialize in something, but if you if what you're doing is something that is being automated away, which those languages aren't. I mean, they're becoming deprecated, but they're you still have a skill that is in demand somewhere. But if a lot of this stuff is being automated away, like if the DevOps is being automated away, if the provisioning is being automated away, if the you know, a lot of the uh, handwriting HTML and CSS is being automated away. Yeah, I mean, then it's time to kind of look around and be like, like Patrick was saying, where do I add the value, <laughs> right? Right. I think Which could be hurting that, sheep in, in uh, South America, too. It's, you know, there are other things to do. That's viable. There are other things to do, think, for sure. I think that's kind of a critical point, though, is it's not just attitude and being willing to learn something new, but I think it's getting increasingly challenging to figure out where to start if you don't have experience with these things. I used to teach uh, an HTML and CSS class to humans in, like, in a room, and we didn't just look at somebody's Udemy course. We actually went through and learned you know, what markup is and what style sheets are and how to apply them and how to use them. And if I taught that, it's been years now, but if I taught that same course now, I'm sure that it would be hard to tell people like the gap between what we did in that class, making a web page and the things they're using on the internet, like what their daily internet experience looks like. That gap has grown so much. Mm. It can be really daunting to figure out, okay, I know markup and style sheets. Now what do I do? Like what, what's and there are like tons of options and tons of exciting things to explore, but you know, how do you, Making that decision about what to do next and what makes sense to do next, I think is is daunting if you don't have a lot of experience with the stuff. Yeah, and and Marion, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, but I, I think that we all are learning things that maybe we're not even aware that we're learning. So just in the process of having learned a whole bunch of different programming languages over the years, what I have learned is the abstract skill of programming, right? And I think we shouldn't undersell that we we are learning this thing and we shouldn't be that afraid of a, a new language, right? Um, you need to stop asking me questions on the hour, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. I, speaking of old technologies and my analog striking clocks. Yeah. I, I had a, I have a friend who got into web development from print. Right, she did stuff in print, and then she did stuff on the web, and um, laid stuff out using tables, and was doing fine. And then CSS came along, and at that point, the nature of the beast changed enough that you know it was time for her to do something else. And so it can be that that your skill set you know, carries you along for your 50 years or whatever of your career. But it can also be that, you know, your skill set leads you to move on to something else entirely different. But yeah, absolutely. The the skill of thinking analytically about things is, you know, like, it's like how to debug is a skill mm. that hasn't really changed. And also how to debug is a 
skill that has broader application than computers too. You know, it's how to figure out what's going wrong with this, that, or the other thing. It's they're all they're all useful useful ways to exercise your brain. Yeah, and let's talk about skills beyond technical skills. Something that I think Jonathan and, and Patrick are really good at is being able to talk to clients, being able to assess someone's needs, being able to translate their real world objectives into a, a set of technologies that are going to work, right? These are all super valuable skills to have, regardless of what the technical implementation ends up being, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've met plenty of people that when they are talking about building a website, they go right into technically what's best. Um, I think understanding holistically how the business or organization works, it just makes a, a world of difference and lets you communicate better, let the client know that you understand their problems and you're, you know, that, that's at the heart of all the technical choices you're making and be able to explain technical things in layman's terms. Not, you know, they know a, a whole lot about their field of whatever it is they're doing, but you know, they don't spend 2% of their day thinking about websites the way that we spend all of our day thinking about websites. So if you can make the, all the technical ins and outs and application stuff that we work and make that make sense to them, that's a huge advantage. And it, you know, I, I've been successful, I think, in large part because I'm a good talker. <laughs> Your wife can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say ditto everything nope. Patrick said. I, I think being a good, you know, being good with clients is definitely a great skill. This is outside of um, the technical aspects of building a website, but I mean, I still think there's a market for you know clients who appreciate good design. So to the extent that like Squarespace and all of these sites, we view these as competition. I guess, but it's never going to look as good as a site that someone, a talented, competent designer uh, builds builds for you or designs for you. And so uh, that's another piece of the equation that I guess we haven't talked about because I don't know how many people here consider themselves to be designers. Actually, with this, my degree is in design, so... Um, we still kind of sell that as as one of the um, one of the advantages uh, of of going with us is that we pride ourselves on design and we have the technical chops to execute it also. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not a, a a strong designer in terms of being able to do a fully finished comp and design, just having a good eye for it um, and knowing what good spacing looks like and all that yeah. can be a, a a big difference maker. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I, I think helps a lot. One, if anyone is looking for a reference on where to get better at that, right now I'm still I haven't bought it yet, but I've been looking at um, Adam Wathen, who was on the pod months ago, um, has a book uh, refactoring UI that is really it's um, how to make clean, simple, easy to look at, easy to grok design. But you know, it's really I think geared towards developers. And I haven't I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but it looks like a really fantastic book from what I've seen from the uh, sample chapter. Yeah, and getting back to what we were talking about in terms of offering something of value, the client doesn't care. The client has does not care, or rarely, I should say. <clears throat> Occasionally they care, but very rarely do they care what CMS you're using, what front-end technology you're using, where the server is hosted. They don't care about any of this stuff. What they want is their problem solved and their problem solved well, right? And in order to do that, you have to be good at communication. You have to be good at understanding their objectives, and you have to be good at listening, right? And these are all super important skills because you can be the best developer under the sun, but if you don't understand the problem that you're trying to solve for somebody, it's not going to be good, right? So that's why I think those skills are, are super important, you know? And, and a lot of people that are 
developers ignore them. And okay, if you're a developer that you just work at a larger agency or company, you can safely ignore that stuff to an extent, but you still need to be able to communicate with the people that you work with reasonably well. But if you're a freelancer or at a small agency, like, I mean, it's, it's critical, right? That's where I, so my background's in, in design as well. And I've pitched myself for years as a design conscious developer. Um, and to me, what's fun about all this and what's fun about doing client work is it's a massive design project. And I went to school with software engineers that talked about design. And I think this is all like there's, there's front end, there's UX, there's UI, but I feel like an entire project, the difference between a Squarespace site or a Wix site or whatever, and, and building something custom is the opportunity for design. And that involves listening mm. to what the client needs and understanding how their business works and, uh, and, and seeing, you know, what customers need and advocating for that. I, I think what makes this really fun and where I get really excited is putting all the pieces together and looking at design mm. at a high level. And to me, everything yeah. is part of design from how you're, you know, writing interfaces in your code to how you're building the stuff on the front end. And to me, what's fun about running my own little shop is that I get to touch all of these things and try to understand how they work and put together something meaningful for a client. I think that's the thing that won't go away, even though the pieces and what they look like and how you use them is you know, just going to keep changing. And performance is part of that too, right? I mean, performance is user experience and design to an extent, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, there's almost no limit to what all those pieces are. It's just having the right focus and, and being able to sell it and execute. Well, this has been a really awesome conversation, I think. I, I would like to see if I can indulge myself. So I've got a, a plugin that I've been working on on and off for a little bit that I want to run by you folks and see what you think. Now, I already talked to Patrick a little bit about this. And Patrick, you made me feel that my <laughs> I should re-examine my life and that no one's going to care about it. <sighs> Raining on my parade. Um, so has anyone, anyone here heard of RUM, real user monitoring or real user metrics or, or real user measurement? Has anyone heard of this stuff? So basically the idea is that, you know, if we run a performance testing tool like Google PageSpeed Insights, right? Or web page test or whatever, it runs from a specific server. And in web page test, you can choose where that is and you can choose what it is and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is that you're you're actively going out and you're running this performance testing tool, right? And what RUM is, is it is passively collecting performance data from actual visitors that are visiting your site, right? And the way that this works is that all of the browsers have built into them a timing API. And JavaScript can say, okay, how long did the first byte take for this request? When did you start uh, drawing stuff to the screen? When did the DOM become interactive? Like all of the metrics that we're used to seeing at these external testing tools you can get those via JavaScript and then send them to a backend somewhere that can then collate the data and do something with it. So what I've been working on is a plugin that I'm calling WebPerf, and it does exactly that, right? So you just, you install it and it starts passively collecting all of this uh, performance information anonymously. So we're not GDPR, you know, there's no issues with that. But from actual visitors who visit your site, it records what device they're on, what their uh, connection was like, what their browser was, and then these various metrics in terms of how long to the first byte, how long till the, the page loaded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that interesting to anybody? I mean, Patrick just told me I was stupid for doing it. No, I, I, I mean, I, I 
think that there's definitely a place for it. I, I like to go to SaaS solutions for this. Mm-hmm. Um, we use uh, like New Relic lets you do it both at the back end and on the front end to do some of that. For an upcoming project, we're looking at using Sentry, Sentry.io, to do things that can tell me more about if there's JavaScript errors and where they happened and who the person is and what their browser was and do all that reporting um, as well as performance. Um, I think it's, I have more of an aversion to putting that right. I personally have an aversion to putting that right in the CMS in a place where the client's going to say, hey, this guy in Indiana on (laughs) IE9 had an error. I thought you were, you know, and I don't know, to me, obviously, you know, the way you build plugins, you could say only super admins can see this and all that. But to me, it's like one more thing that the client can say, hey, you know, you need to fix this. Yes. Um, (laughs) I know it's three in the morning. Yeah. And I get that with like SEO metrics already that, you know, you know, wait a second, or why are we getting, you know, a D on this? Well, it's because you haven't filled this in and we didn't have it in scope to do this. And I, I like to really be in control of what the client can see and keep them focused on on working on content and, and doing those things rather than places that are going to tell them that there may be an issue where there may not be one. Right. And so you're looking at it from, from the point of view of, well, um, I like the idea of this stuff, but I don't want the client to know about it. Right. Cause you're looking at it from the point of view that they're going to look at it and they're going to say, you know, why isn't this good? <laughs> right? Yeah. And then it's also, you know, what am I going to do with this data? You know, I'm now paying money for a plugin that's going to tell me that, I'm, you know, at, at 2.2 seconds to load this complex page. And okay, you know, I already kind of knew that. I knew, you know, there's a whole lot going on in there. But yeah, personally, I, I don't see myself jumping to it. I, for some large applications, we're using things like Sentry, where there's really high um, concern about performance and uptime and experience and possibly throwing any errors. But right. yeah. Yeah, and, and I get that. But there, you can also look at it from the point of view of, it's an opportunity as well, right? So you can build this thing. And then if there are performance issues, that can be work that you can tell the client you're working on and doing, right? And it can be billable hours to improve this stuff. But there's no reason that couldn't be the case with Patrick's approach. It's just whether or not he wants that to be visible and, and entertain that opportunity versus yeah, right. another thing. Yeah, and of course, if I did this, you'd be able to set who could see what. Right. So it could be installed in there and they never see it. So then you would say, okay, well, why don't I just use one of these services, right? And there's New Relic, there's Pingdom. There are a whole bunch of them that you can do this RUM stuff with, the real user metrics. Um, Akame uses uh, Mpulse, right? And under the hood, they're all using the exact same JavaScript technology that I'm using, right? It's the exact same thing in terms of the the beacon and the data and how it gets sent out. I guess the difference would be that, you know, one is a service. You have to go out, you have to sign up for it. You have to pay a monthly fee. Yes, there are free tiers, but they really limit the useful data that you're actually going to be able to see and do anything with. So I don't know. I mean, I guess no one thinks it's a good idea. What? I think if you want to do it, you should, Andy. Right. Sounds like it sounds I'm like doing it. you know, this is your Matt Stein moment, a boy to take it apart and Ugh. see how it all truly, truly works. And it sounds fascinating. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's already done. You can be filled with knowledge and regret by the time you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the majority of it is already done, right? So I've already got it where everything works. All you have to do is install it. You don't have to do anything else. And it starts sending this data back. The only thing that's not done is the the GUI presentation in the back end where it's going to have all these fancy charts that show you what's going on. And I think you you should should build it as a Wix plugin. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hate you. But, you know, I mean, what I'm looking at this as an opportunity for people who are, they care about performance, but they're not necessarily going to go sign up for this external monitoring service in order to do it. And it, all they have to do is install it. And then the data is going to be there when they want to look at it the same way that we install Google Analytics by default. And then all of the data is there, you know, if we do end up wanting to look at it or or do something with it. But yeah, I'm I'm doing it anyway. But it sounds like the the concerns that people are having is kind of like, I just don't want my client to see it. Is that what you all are are balking at here? It also it feels like a SaaS thing to me. Like uh, in the same way that you said you can add a Google Analytics snippet and have that information available, that's the same thing with a Pingdom Rum snippet or even Google page timings or full story or something and, and collect that information somewhere out side of your site and possibly for multiple. But people love things like there's a plugin that was super popular, a Google Analytics plugin for craft that really all it does is it displays those charts in your admin CP, right? The, the data is coming from Google Analytics, but the the benefit of it is the, the client has one login um, or the developer has one login and there they are. They can see all that stuff. I found that to be a super popular plugin for people who want like some idea of what is going on with their analytics and who's hitting the site, but they're not going to log into Google analytics. Like it's too complicated. It's too confusing. You know? Yeah. No? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just wary of, you know, I have enough things to do. I have no, enough things in my inbox and installing a plugin that's going to give me more things to, to fix or more things to work on. And, and yeah, unless you tied it to, yeah, rather than more just billable doing, hours, Patrick. Well, more billable thing. hours. But if it's already planned that okay, this is you know we're not only going to sell a support contract, but also a performance contract, and saying you know mm-hmm. as you add content, as thing you know, becomes more complex, we will be monitoring your site to ensure that you know new content changes things that are outside. Yeah, I I, I don't want the client to think that we built a subpar project because they started adding, you know, 80 matrix blocks with, you know, nested super tables to a site. And it's now taking a while for that site to load and, and render. You know, so it's also about just me, you know, yeah, just, you know, just making sure that if we are saying that there's a performance issue that, you know, we're putting the right spin on it. So let's say we're building an e-commerce site for somebody where things like performance and page load and all that kind of stuff really make a difference. You don't think active monitoring could be a good thing for that? I think it is, um, but for that, I'd probably want. I, my guess is that something like Centria.io would do a whole lot more, you know, than you know, kind of a built-in craft plugin. Not that your pl- plugin won't be a really good one, but uh, it might suck. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, this is a tough sale. <laughs> We're just gonna cut this. I don't think anybody's <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think anybody's arguing with the goal. It's just how it how it's achieved, and is is a plugin the the most comfortable or right medium for that. Right. Yeah. You're, you're probably going to be right. It's something that I have thought about and I'm like, you know what, for, for my sites, I want this, you know, I want this thing installed and I'm already like, I don't know, I'm going to say 70% of the way there. So I'm going to finish it. Yeah. But, I mean, I, but anyway, have, have you been in the back end of new relic much? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I think about that, I think that I can go in, I can see at a certain period of time, here's when something spiked. I can, you know, with my mouse drag and drop over that one little section and get those four minutes in which case things were spiking and come down to the exact server backend processes that were running and the SQL queries, like that's all the stuff that to me is really useful. And 
you know, New Route gives you some of that stuff actually for free with their free tier. And then, yeah, for the clients that really need it, they may want all of that. And I mean, they've just done so much around it. Yeah, I, well, I'm not I've saying... Used yeah. their free, I've used their free tier. Yep. And yeah. I think it does a good job doing what it should be doing, which is trying to get you to sign up for the paying yep. tier. <laughs> yep. yep. But but as something like I, I've installed New Relic and I've used it on some sites with the free tier just to kind of see. And realistically, like it gives you a good idea of what it can do, yep. but you need to sign up for one of their paid plans to actually use it for anything useful. Yeah. To get the you know? full real user monitoring, you really do have to go paid with them. Um, Which is fine. I yep. mean, that's their business. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's that's why I'm saying that I'm interested in doing something that I can just install it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And then I then then I'm done. But all right, my dreams have been dashed. I think you know the price point depends too in terms of where it is. If it's a really premium plugin, it's then you know just turning into okay, you know how do I balance this with other costs right. and you know what yeah it's just you know there's a lot of calculus uh, yeah. I, i'm not saying i wouldn't use it it's just not an automatic like you know just like seomatic is an automatic install for me this may not be an automatic install yeah i think you're right and you made a good you made a really good point so like when i did seomatic for craft 2 it did all of these seo metrics where it gave like grades on <laughs> like things that were done and things weren't done i had a bunch of people that were like can i disable this yeah yep, yep. <laughs> Can, can I turn this off? From being assigned to having an F depl- displayed yeah. on it. Thanks, Andrew. Like, <laughs> I, and they're like, yeah, can I turn this off? Because I don't want my client to see it. And I'm just sort of like, oh, really? And, well, and, and then, I mean, real you time, know? you know, the first thing when you see SEOmatic installed is you get all these big, giant, red F, F, F. Like, literally, you, you can't not see an F at some point. And it, it, I mean, I think that's more of, you know, there could be a place to do at least some you know, a little bit of a, a walkthrough um, yes. just so that people aren't turning it on and being greeted with an F. You do soften the blow with yeah. a confetti, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is a plan. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a fair comment because yeah. I've had a uh, – this has been something I've been wanting to do for a while anyway. Is It's all well and good to give like an overview, but then how do I fix it? Yeah, right, right. right. And, and give, me, give me some more data in terms of what needs to be fixed there. And I, I think that that is, that is fair and should be done. But I just think it's interesting, like – there are a number of these tools that people are just like, um, I don't want the client thinking I didn't do a good job, so yep. I don't want to know about it. It's almost like a, a hear no evil, see no evil monkey. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. Where you get your eyes over your hands and stuff. Yep. I don't know. And there also may be that, oh, we don't have that social media profile, and so we have a blank field in the back end. That's being you know, right. reflected as a bad grade, but really it's just that that's information we don't want to give out or it's not useful to give that out. Um, so I think, right. And, and, and that's just a matter of presenting that information, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. All right. Well, thank you for letting me indulge myself in there and publicly everyone's going to hear about how everyone thinks that my plugin's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) When is WebPerf launching? I don't know. I mean, if I devoted my time to it, I could get it done soon, but I got a bunch of other stuff that I need to get done and, you know, exactly, Jonathan. (laughs) Hmm. I got stuff I need to get done for Jonathan. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's probably going to be a while. I, when I say a while, a couple of weeks, because it is pretty much done. You know. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for talking about front-end development in 2019. That about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. 
You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Just leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the def- devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. Matt Stein. I'm Patrick Harrington. And I'm Jonathan Melville. And bye-bye. I need to go have a beer and cry myself (laughs) to sleep after that. It really is a Uh. Matt Stein project.